1: The only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Lazarus is dead. Jesus is on his way to Bethany to meet with Mary and Martha. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to this broadcast today. I pray it will be helpful for you that it will open your eyes and give you some clear understanding and direction to meet reality, not Fantasia. Almost everything that we see in the Christian world today is make-believe. Most of it is apostate religion. It has little to do with the true Jesus of Scripture. It has to do with the cotton candy Jesus. It has to do with many men's understanding of Jesus, but they don't match the Scripture's. Nothing brings us quite to reality like death. When your precious wife is told she has cancer and it's terminal and she may have 30 days, make the most of your last time together. Or if you lose a child in the morning, he's dead. You suddenly stop and you look at the face of death and you say, how do I even begin to deal with this? Our hearts are rent apart. Or some people meet death face on and say, I am without fear. I don't believe in God. I don't know where I'm going after this, but I know it's going to be better than what I've had here. So I choose to stop medical treatment and I choose to die. As one This one man said to me. We face death. Now, all the YouTube videos and all of the TikTok videos and all of the movies and the video games and all of the entertainment of the world and all of the conversations that go on with the laughter and jesting, That comes to a screeching halt in the face of death. Because when we face death, we know it's final. It's the end. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, We may think we know, but we don't really know. Jesus is on his way walking those miles between Capernaum and Bethany, which is just a short ways out of Jerusalem. A message comes to Martha saying that Jesus was on his way. And she goes out to meet him. She does not tell Mary. They both are weeping. And there are many other close friends who have gathered, and they too are weeping over the death of their beloved Lazarus. The first thing out of Martha's mouth is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus simply says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha is in no frame of mind to understand what's just been said to her. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus replied, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? All she could muster, was i believe that you are the christ the son of god who was to come into the world now let's let's stop and look at that for a moment she's saying that she knows that jesus is the christ the messiah the one expected to deliver Israel. But her intellectual understanding that Jesus is the Messiah causes her to totally miss Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. She doesn't stop and say, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you saying? Are you going to raise raise Lazarus back to life? That's just a total impossibility for her. She could not begin to wrap her mind around the possibility that Jesus could give her back, her beloved brother. And so she just gives a theological answer. Jesus wants to do something in your life. But you have your own agenda going, your own understanding of reality. And you think you know pretty much how it's all going to work out. I have people say to me on a regular basis, when faced with an impossible situation, they'll say something foolish like, well, we'll see how it works out. no, we're not going to see how it works out. We're going to turn to Jesus and find out how Jesus wants to work it out. So as we face the reality that Jesus is present with us, now that's a stretch in the first place. Do you believe that Jesus is present with you right now? Do you believe that he is the healer? Do you believe that all power in heaven and earth reside in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus created the world and everything in it, including you? Are you hidden in Jesus and is Jesus in you? Do you walk together? Have you cut off everything that would feed you in this world except what Jesus would give you? Do you feast on on the secular world? Do you feast on your dreams? Do you feast on your relationships with men and with women? Do you feast on your hopes and your dreams and your your bucket list? Well, needless to say, I don't have a bucket list. I just have a home waiting in heaven. And I have some work to do before I get there. And I'm about getting that work done. I said last night, I'd like to go now. But I can't, because the Lord has assigned me work here that must be accomplished before I can go. Do you understand? My heart is there. My heart is with Jesus, and his heart is with me. I'm not caught in the foolishness of this world. I've cut that off with a sharp knife. I've said' no, that's not where I live, Pastor. If I give you a couple of passes to this game, will you go? No, why? I can't waste my time at a game. It has no It has no meaning. Just before you're ready to go to the game, the doctor tells you, your wife is going to die. She has 30 days. Are you going to say, bye, hun? i I'm off to the game? I don't, know. I don't think so. What is real to you? I hear some people pray, and, and they pray very casually. There's no energy in it. There's no excitement in it. There's no juice in it. I sometimes watch when I'm eating in a restaurant I I watch some of the couples that are seated in that restaurant and I watch to see if there's any any excitement any any juice between them or are they empty do they just sit and eat their food and don't talk or do they laugh and touch Is there something alive between them or has it long ago died and now they're just dry husks? I listen as as people pray and often they're just dry husks. There's nothing in it. It's a, a formalized little prayer. When I was a boy, we had prayer meeting every wednesday night and of course my family attended the prayer meeting at the church and i got so tired as a little boy listening to the people pray because i'd memorized their prayers and so as they would begin to pray i would speak their prayer also in a whisper And my dad was quite upset with me and and thumped me on the head and said, Stop that, Ray. Well, I didn't mean to be disrespectful to them. I just thought they ought to have something real to say if Jesus was real. And if Jesus isn't real, then what are we doing in this dry, old, ugly building called a church? Oh, I know the answer to that. Let's juice the church up. Let's let's put in a nice big stage and let's put in some smoke machines and let's put in some strobe lights and let's, let's get a band and let's get some excitement going in this house because there's certainly no God excitement in this house. And then let's bring in a preacher who will tell some jokes and who will give us a, an inspirational message that will bring some tears to our eyes and some laughter to our face like a, like a Kennedy Center program and everybody knows it's 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 not real it's sentimental touches us but it's devoid of meaning there's no juice not not anything that lasts beyond the last laugh of the show and walking out Everyone will be as dead walking out as they were dead walking in. So today, pastors pile up as much brush as they can to have the biggest church they can have, to have the best business and budget. But they can't light the brush on fire because there's no fire in them. It's make believe. So here comes Martha. She has intellectual knowledge, but she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know you can heal the sick, but you can't raise the dead, Jesus. So, Jesus says, Go get your sister. She went back and she called Mary and said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she immediately jumped to her feet and began to go very quickly, almost running up to where Jesus was. And many people Friends, who were weeping with her and grieving with her, thought she was going out to grieve once more at the gravesite, and so they also got up and they followed her, not wanting her to be alone. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet. There's a lot more, there's a lot more excitement in Mary than there is in Martha. At least she falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Obviously, these two sisters have spoken this many times, wondering why was Jesus not here? Why was he, why was he not coming was he going to come at all? And then Lazarus died, and now it's too late. It's beyond hope. It's over. It's not over. It never is over. Jesus sees her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply Troubled in spirit. Deeply moved. What was he deeply moved about? The death of Lazarus? No, he knew what he was going to do with Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him back to life. What is Jesus so deeply troubled by? The lack of understanding that his two precious disciples had Mary and Martha. He was troubled by their unbelief. He was troubled that they had an intellectual understanding that he was the Messiah, but they didn't understand that he also had given his heart to them, that he wanted a oneness with them, that he would have been very excited had Mary and Martha both said, oh, Jesus, we're so glad you're here because we know you can raise Lazarus from the dead. We've been waiting for you, Jesus. They didn't say that. They were trapped in the reality of their own agenda, their own time, their own place, They could not see. They could not believe. There has to be, in our day, a total, complete change in the heart of Christians, many who I know honestly love Jesus. But it has to go beyond a sentimental love for Jesus or an intellectual understanding of the work of Jesus. It has to go beyond that. It has to go to a very personal level where you come and say, I know Jesus and Jesus knows me. And I'm going to believe his word that I will see his glory Let me share it with you. Jesus is so troubled. This man's man is so troubled by their unbelief that he stands there and weeps, cries, loud cries, heart-rending sobs. This was God's response to the unbelief of the people he deeply loved and had taught and fellowshiped with. And the Jews all said, Oh, see how how he loved Lazarus. They think Jesus is crying because Lazarus is dead. No, he's crying because the people he loved don't believe in him. They said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more, is deeply moved and troubled. As they come to the tomb, it was a a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He orders, take away the stone. No, you're not supposed to do that at a gravesite. You're not supposed to pull the casket up out of the ground. You're supposed to stand there and give respect and say how bad it is, how poor it was, how tragic it is that this person is dead. Mary and Martha, they object. Oh, he's been dead four days, Jesus. There will be a bad smell. You know, Jesus is not afraid of a bad smell. That's not Jesus' concern. Bad smells come from death. He comes to give life. There may be a really bad stench about your life today. That's not going to stop Jesus. You may be walking in utter sin and brokenness by wicked behavior. doesn't matter to jesus he came to give you life jesus said to them did i not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god jesus wants to show them the glory of the father and all they can do is see their brother dead They can't see him alive. He's in the grave. They put him there. They don't believe. You know, we marshal all of the reasons for why we don't believe and why something is impossible. Can I tell you, all things are possible with God. The question is not, can Lazarus live again? The question is, if Lazarus is brought back to life, will it bring glory to the name of Jesus and to the kingdom of God? Will it bring honor and glory? Will people be saved from hell by an action that God would take if they would believe in him? I want to say something that may surprise some of you religionists. Some of you who believe that it requires faith to be healed. It doesn't. Lazarus could exercise no faith. He was dead. And Mary and Martha and the Jewish people surrounding him were certainly not exercising any faith that Lazarus could be brought to life. God is not dependent on your faith. Instead, he brings his own faith. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? They did not believe, but they still saw the glory of God. There's some of us, No, I won't say us because I can't be included in that crowd. There are some of you who believe in a, a religious nationalism. And you believe that the apostles and the prophets that are alive today, so-called, I'm not saying they there are no apostles today. I'm saying that many who call themselves apostles who believe in Christian nationalism, believe that they have to give God orders, that they have to have faith and make their pronouncements before anything can happen, not so. Foolishness. They took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now it was... Fortunate that Jesus identified who was to come out of the grave because there were many graves there. If Jesus had just said, come out, they would have all come out. It would have been a general resurrection. But that wasn't what Jesus was about. The day will come when that call to life for all of his people will be sounded the last trumpet and we will all come forth. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Oh, Lord, take off my grave clothes and let me go. Take off, Lord, every stench of the world on my heart and my life. Lord, there are many today listening who also need to have their grave clothes taken off and they be allowed to live believing that you are the Christ and giving themselves utterly to you, Jesus. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them named Caiaphas who was the high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation to perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. You know, when I look at this story, it's obvious. The Jewish leadership had many opportunities to understand who Jesus was and to receive him. Instead, they rejected him, they scorned him, And finally, they nailed him to a cross. Why? Because they were protecting their place. They were protecting their temple, which was their place of business. They were protecting themselves from Rome. They wanted Rome because they were getting wealthy from Rome. They didn't want Jesus to rule over them. They were afraid that everyone would believe in him and the Romans would come and destroy their nation. Well, they didn't believe in him, and Rome did not come and destroy them until AD 70. And then because they had crucified Jesus, Jerusalem was destroyed and burned. And countless numbers of Jewish people lost their lives. The Lord announced that judgment against them. What I'm trying to say to you today is that when we face death, consciousness comes back into our hearts. Some of you say you love the Lord, but you're really concerned about prospering your business. I had a, a man and a wife who I'd known for a number of years. They joined Amway. They were going to become a part of the National Prayer Chapel. But after they joined Amway, they said, no, we, we can't join National Prayer Chapel, Pastor. I said, why not? What's going on? Well, we've joined Amway. And the best place for us to get a ground and to work our business is in this Presbyterian church. Oh. So now church has become your recruiting place for your business. You're really not interested in Jesus, are you? You're interested in in making money and you'll use the church to do that. I've lost track with them. Last I heard, they had failed at their Amway business. But I want to tell you, long before they failed at Amway, they failed Jesus Christ. Many of you are interested in making money with your your designs and your ideas and your side hustles. I hear that word a lot, the side hustles. That's not what Jesus is about. He's about reality. And I ask you today, what is your reality? Have you honestly looked in the mirror and recognize that that bright face you're looking at is destined to die. And if you don't make arrangements, that bright face you see will be sentenced to death a second time and cast into the fires of hell. We need to get very serious about this issue of of what we're going to do for the future and not simply live in the entertainment and the fun times now, trying to keep everybody happy with us, trying to keep our wife or our husband or our relatives, everybody. We keep happy. We compromise our own integrity. We don't speak the truth in love. It's all a game. I want to read a psalm for you, please, in the minutes we have left. It's a favorite of mine, but it's also a very dangerous one because it can be very sentimental and a comfort with no reality. Please, may I say this? God deals in reality. He stood in front of that grave and he had no fear of it. He called Lazarus to life. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That is, if your living place is in the shelter of God, you will rest in his shadow and he will protect you. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. You know what? I know people who love Jesus who are in total disaster. What's their response? Jesus, if you'd just answer my prayer and do what I've asked you to do, I'd be okay. I'd be healed. Wrong. Wrong. Doesn't work that way. He wants us to dwell in Him, not in the world, the flesh, or the devil. He wants us to dwell in Him, and He dwells in us. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent, that is the devil. How will you do that? By making the Most High your dwelling and the Lord your refuge. Some of you want to make your new house your your refuge. Some of you want to make your financial retirement money your refuge. Some of you want to have your lifestyle as your place of comfort and refuge. All of that will block what God wants to do in you and for you. It comes to a place like it did with Job, in great anguish and pain, discovers he can't answer God's questions, discovers that he is not the the power, that God is the power. And it requires a great humbling of our hearts before Almighty God and a recognition that he alone holds our life in his hands, and that we can trust him. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Not because he accuses me, not because he complains to me, not because he thinks I ought to do it differently. No, it's I will rescue him because he loves me. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's nothing more important in this world than to clearly see the glory of God as he saves our soul as he wipes us clean and removes all sin most of you have a difficult time because you still have your favorite sins and until you're willing to come to Jesus and pray through And let him bring total victory to you. You're going to be stuck. And you're not going to see his glory. I can tell you as one who has walked this walk for many years. That when I have not seen the glory of God, it has been because I have gotten the bone in my teeth and I want my way. And I'm determined to have it one way or another. If God can't give it to me, then another person will give it to me. But I'm going to have what I need and what I want. Wrong. It doesn't work that way. It requires an absolute humbling of our hearts before Almighty God. It requires turning to Him And acknowledging that he is God. And to love him with all of our heart. Now Mary and Martha loved Jesus with all their heart. They didn't believe that he had the ability to rescue their Lazarus. But Jesus in his great mercy. And for the glory of his kingdom. Rescued Lazarus. And he will do that sometimes. Other times, he won't because we're too big. And he wants to to carve us down, to humble our hearts, to acknowledge that he is God and that we are not. Now, some of you after this broadcast you're going to go about your business. You're going to pursue your interests. You're going to pursue your idols, your pocket idols. God will not answer you when you do that. We must turn from all wickedness and acknowledge that he is God and ask him in his great mercy if he would come and speak with us and answer the cry of our hearts. Jesus is not interested in helping you build a financial future. Jesus is not interested in helping you to be loved by everybody. Jesus is not interested in helping you to get a new house or a new car or whatever you think it is you must have if you're going to be the person you want to be and have people treat you like you think you're entitled to be treated, wrong. Jesus is interested in you believing in him and humbling your hearts and coming before him in great love And asking for his mercy. And casting yourself utterly, fully, completely. Onto Jesus Christ. I want what Jesus wants. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Can you say that? Are you willing to give up everything but Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything but Jesus? Lord, I come today with brothers and sisters, some who are hurting, who are discouraged, who are saying to themselves, this is hopeless, Pastor Ray can't be right. Lord, would you come with mercy and would you strengthen their feeble arms and their weak legs? Lord, would you come in your mercy with healing for the sick and the dying? And would you cause your glory to be seen would you cause a great shout of victory to go up for you, Jesus? Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd like to invite you to write to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Let me give you that address again. National Prayer Chapel, Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel, one word, dot com. You can give online and you can listen to many, many other YouTube videos and podcasts that will encourage you in this walk in the Holy Spirit who will clear away the misunderstandings and open the way to eternity for you. You know, I know without doubt, Jesus is who he says he is. And if you want to see the glory of God, then you're going to have to put it all in Jesus' hands and you're going to have to believe in him. I pray you have the courage to do that. Thank you for listening today. I pray today that you'll be encouraged. God bless you. Mr. Producer, how much time do we have left? Two minutes. We're right at two minutes? Yes, sir. Good. Uh, Our producer, Drew, is in the hospital. Uh, He's there for a blood pressure issue. And I would ask, would you please pray for Drew? Uh, He's not discouraged. I talked with him just a few minutes before the broadcast. But he did ask me to pray for him. And I invite all of you to pray for him as well. We're at the end of the month. Almost. It'll end next week. And we're still quite away from having the resources to pay the WAVA radio bill. So I'd love to hear from you. God bless you all. We'll talk to you soon.
1: him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.